0: Well, good evening. What a wonderful celebration of Easter services around the death and resurrection of Jesus over the past week. I have just been so blessed in my heart to worship with sovereign grace and Christ's covenant these past several days, especially, and be ministered to in so many ways. As we conclude our Holy Week services tonight, I want us to consider something that is often overlooked, I think, in the aspect of Jesus' exaltation, and that is his ascension and what this significant event means for us. If we were to follow the church calendar that many traditions will celebrate, they follow along Ascension Day this year, May the 13th, signifying the 40 days after Jesus' resurrection. So normally this sermon would be given later, but I want to thank you ahead of time for giving me the the privilege to, to preach this sermon tonight. And here's the main point that I want to make. I want you to see the connection between Jesus' ascension and one of many blessings from that, in particular, his giving of the gift of the Holy Spirit. So the connection between the glorious ascension and the gift of the Holy Spirit. So if someone were to ask you what is so special about the Christian doctrine of the ascension of Christ, we could at least answer with this one significant fulfillment of promise, the gift of the Holy Spirit. This past week I was reading an article in a news journal about the frustrating nature of endings in our Hollywood-influenced world. The writer was lamenting the reality these days that there is a lack of any real ending or stopping point or conclusion in particular to our pandemic that we're in. And here's how he says it. There will come a day, maybe even a day in the next few months when Americans wake up, emerge from their homes, cast away their masks and resume their lives. On that day, the great coronavirus pandemic of 2020 and 2021 will be over. Ridiculous, right? A consummation devotedly to be wished, but highly unlikely, he says. Here's the problem with anticipating the end of the pandemic. No one is sure just what that ending will look like or when it will arrive, or even if we'll know when we see it, will it be when most of the country is vaccinated? When schools all reconvene safely, when hospital COVID beds are empty, when American ballparks are full for a summer baseball game, when Disneyland reopens, when wearing masks seems weird again, The kind of finish that the coronavirus has in store for weary Americans has no distinct ending, he says. That's a hard pill to swallow for a nation long trained, in some cases quite literally, to expect well-defined and often optimistic conclusions to torturous sagas. The American brand of ending, borrowed from classical Greek storytelling, made industrial strength over four generations by Hollywood and Madison Avenue, goes something like this. A story concludes with a specific resolution, usually after some action, good guy heroics or big time character development, and usually at a specific discernible moment. Are we heading toward that with a pandemic? He says, almost certainly not. And the gradual nature of things is gumming up the works because it ain't over till it's over. And even then it might not be over, quote. You can feel the exasperation in his tone and perhaps many of you would actually disagree with his assessment. Compare though that pessimism of an end to the optimism of the disciples after the resurrection and the conclusion of Jesus's earthly ministry. It couldn't be more different or more opposite. When we come to the end of the gospels, the writers are quick to point out a real finality to Jesus's earthly ministry that he arose from the dead, accomplished all that the father had for him to do and then before ascending in glory to the right hand of the father, he gave his concluding commands to his disciples, namely the Great Commission. Go therefore and make disciples. So one finds an intentionality in all the gospel writers at the conclusion of Jesus' ministry to immediately connect to a continuation of his ministry just from a different location. Yes, it ain't over till it's over. The church continues on under the authority of her king until this king will return in glory and power. Our ascended King Jesus reigns from a different place. So what about the time we live in? What about our experience now post-resurrection? What is happening now? Well, let's explore a little part of that tonight. Christ's Ascension deserves several sermons for its richness, depth, and blessing to us. I wanna consider one of the many, the blessed gift of the Holy Spirit. Many years ago when Kai and I were first married, somehow I got hooked on listening to Paul Harvey. Paul Harvey, that ages me, right? Paul Harvey had been doing radio news and commentary for over 50 years. He was a true icon of radio history. He always closed out his Saturday broadcasts with a statement that has become famous and recognizable by millions of his listeners. You're probably familiar with it or you've heard it maybe by your parents or grandparents. And here it is, and now you know the rest of the story. Post-resurrection, there is a rest of the story and sometimes it's the rest of the story that the church sadly forgets. Here's what Augustine said about the ascension. For unless the Savior had ascended into heaven, his nativity would have come to nothing and his passion would have borne no fruit for us and his most holy resurrection would have been useless. Some 40 days after his resurrection, Jesus in the presence of his disciples ascends into heaven. The ascension is the bridge which connects the resurrection recorded at the end of each of the gospels to the book of Acts which is the history of the beginning of the church. The ascension is what it brought about the conclusion of Jesus' earthly ministry, and today it still promises us growth and fruitfulness in our Christian journey and in our progress in Christ-likeness. Would you turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1, and we'll read what Luke says in the first nine verses about this ascension. Acts 1, verses 1 through 9. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with with all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. To them he presented himself alive after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. The ascension of Christ puts before us two beautiful truths. First, that his work in the cross was fully completed. And second, His work in our world and in his his church continues. Two truths. Work is completed on the cross. His work continues as the church continues. What he did on the cross was finished in fact. That is exactly what he cried out. It is finished when he died. Yet the ascension also tells us his work continues. Only the place of operation has changed. Let me set the context of this story for you. The scene of the Ascension was the Mount of Olives. The Garden of Gethsemane was probably located at the foot of this mountain. The particular location is an area visited oftentimes by Jesus, about halfway between the little town of Bethany and Jerusalem. From this vantage point, he could see all of Jerusalem the city that he loved and yet who had treated him, the city that treated him so cruelly. Luke gives us another picture of this ascension event in his gospel, chapter 24, verse 50 and 51. And he led them out as far as Bethany and he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. And it came about that while he was blessing them, he departed from them and was carried up to heaven. Friends, the last memory or recollection we have of seeing someone whom we love and respect always lives with us, doesn't it? I remember, believe it or not, as a high school senior, seeing my dad in my rearview mirror as I drove off to college. I remember dropping off my kids at college, waving goodbye. Now it is waving goodbye to my grandsons, Bo and Grishy, and tears flow down my eyes often. Powerful emotions are made when we depart from someone we truly love. And Luke records Jesus was blessing them as he left them with a familiar pri- priestly blessing, lifting up his hands. And we don't know, what he said, what the blessing was perhaps, the familiar Arionic blessing in Numbers, the Lord bless you and keep you, the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you, the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. It was in the act of blessing that Jesus left the disciples. They were not conscious of his blessing ending because it never does. His blessing of his people is still unfinished. One commentator writes it this way, the Lord Jesus is the Lord of the uplifted hands and the unfinished blessing. The ascended Lord lives to bless his church. Do we believe that today? Then Luke says in his gospel and in Acts that Jesus was taken up into heaven. Essentially, when we refer to the ascension, we are saying that Jesus changed his base of operations he is no longer here on earth, he is in heaven. He has moved away from earth as he will come back to earth at his return. A cloud received him out of their sight. Luke records after that, they watched with amazement of Jesus ascending through the clouds and he was gone. They worshiped and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Luke writes in such a way for us to see a very surprising contrast. Think about the disciples when they were with Jesus together in the Last Supper and how when Jesus mentioned leaving them, how sad and sorrowful they were. Now after resurrection and ascension, they were joyful. They were excited. They go from one extreme to the other, from sad and sorrowful to amazed and joyful. So how is this ascension, the bridge between the resurrection and and the church's incredible growth. Here it is in part at least, because now Jesus has ascended to the right hand of the Father. He continues his ministry in and through his church. If we don't make this connection, we're weakened in our faith and weakened in our spiritual battles that we face every day. If we forget the rest of the story. He sat down, he sat down at God's right hand. The declaration of completed work on earth The late John Stott writes in his commentary with great clarity about this in chapter 8 of Romans, when Paul is answering the question, who is it who condemns, this is how Stott says it, the crucified and resurrected Christ is at the right hand of God, resting from his finished work, occupying the place of supreme honor, exercising his authority to save, and waiting for his final triumph. He is also interceding for us, for he is our heavenly advocate and high priest. His very presence at the Father's right hand is evidence of his completed work of atonement. And his intercession means that he continues to secure for his people the benefits of his death." We all too often forget the truth of his continuing work we forget the rest of the story. When Jesus sat down, we are not to think that he stopped. Yes, the ascension is the seal of approval, that the Father accepted the Son's work in the cross, but the Bible speaks clearly to this ongoing role Jesus plays in the life of the church and in our lives. Among the many blessings of the ascension, and we could talk of many tonight, Perhaps the one most precious gift and in fulfillment of a promise is that of the Holy Spirit. With all the talk about the Holy Spirit in all kinds of ways, many of which are harmful, I want us today to see the inseparable connection between his ascension and his giving of the Spirit. When our Savior was exalted, the Bible says to the right hand of the Father, Following the resurrection, it opened the way for His presence to be with His people throughout the world, in every generation, in a new and expansive way, as one commentator says. The Bible teaches us that God is a trinity, a triunity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit equal in power and glory. God the Father gave the Son to be the only Savior we needed. The Son achieved the work He had came to do, namely to pay for our sins, to die in our deserved place. God the Son did something else. He gave the Holy Spirit, His Spirit to His people, to those who belong to Him. And so when we scan the Bible in its entirety, we see this unfolding before our eyes, When you take a look at the Old Testament, you will find the Holy Spirit is not given in fullness that we in the New Testament enjoy. Instead, the Holy Spirit is given for the achievement of specific tasks. So we read the Spirit comes upon men and women for a period of time to enable them to accomplish what God wanted them to. And then when we fast forward in the New Testament, we find Jesus explained to his disciples the Holy Spirit could not be given to them until he returned to heaven, John sixteen seven. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper shall not come to you. But if I go away, I will send him to you. The gift of the Spirit was a consequence of the victory of the cross that both the resurrection and the ascension displayed. It was further evidence that the work Jesus came to do, reconciling us back to God, was accomplished fully, that God the Father had placed his approval on it, as one commentator has said well, The Spirit is the glorious gift of a conquering Savior to his church. Jesus received the Holy Spirit in order to give him to us. Peter, responding to this new gift of the Holy Spirit in promise of fulfillment, says this in Acts 2.33, Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, And having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. So the gift of the Spirit is given to us from the Son, whom the Bible calls another helper. It's familiar language to us. For Jesus, having been received at the right hand of the Father, is as well our helper, our advocate. The word is exactly the same, and let that sink into us tonight, that we have a helper, Jesus Christ the righteous, as 1 John writes, pleading our case day and night before the Father. And we have a helper, the same word, the Holy Spirit present in every Christian. So in essence, we have a helper in heaven and one on earth. Think about Jesus' relationship with his disciples. All that Jesus was to his disciples by close and intimate relationship with them, he may now be to us by his spirit. He guided them, he taught them, he encouraged them, led them, directed them, we in the 21st century received those identical benefits for our Savior, from our Savior, by His Spirit. No greater gift than the Holy Spirit could have been given by the Father and the Son. One commentator writes, the gift of the Spirit is the direct consequence of our Savior's mighty conquest over sin and Satan and hell. As our king and conqueror of all of our enemies, Jesus ascended to receive gifts promised him by the Father for his church. This is how Paul says it in Ephesians 4. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Here's a picture Paul paints for us of a returning conquering king In triumph after battle and great conquests were followed by triumphant marches in ancient times. Behind the victorious king were his captives and from his hand came this distribution of his treasures, the results of victory to share with his own people. One of those great treasures is the Holy Spirit. So what can we learn from the scriptures about this gift of the Holy Spirit? Five brief truths and then four applications. Number one, because of the ascension, the Holy Spirit comes to live in the heart of every believer. Because of the ascension, the Holy Spirit comes to live in the heart of every believer. Our heart is the Savior's home. Jesus identifies the Holy Spirit living within us as his own presence At no time did he speak more clearly about this than in the conversation he had before his crucifixion. In John 14, we read it just a few moments ago. Bruce did. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither receives him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells in, with you, and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live, you also will live. In that day, you know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Friends, we are not left as orphans, because through the gift of the Holy Spirit, the Lord Jesus while physically in heaven as our intercessor, is also present with us. He comes to us individually and corporately by the Holy Spirit, indwelling our hearts by the Spirit. He is in us, making his home with us, showing himself to us. By the Spirit, we enjoy fellowship and communion with the Father and the Son. The Lord Jesus makes his home in our hearts by faith. The promise and experience is a direct consequence of Jesus' ascension. It can only come about through his exaltation at the right hand. John tells us in his gospel that on one occasion he stood up, John 7, 37 through 39. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up, cried out, If anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink, whoever believes in me. As the scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water, Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet, the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Glorified is John's way of saying crucified, risen, ascended. Our Lord's words show that the experience we have of the spirit because of his ascension is entirely new and different from anything that God's people knew before. And John paints this picture of a streams of water constantly flowing or a fountain perpetually gushing its refreshing waters. So because of the ascension, Jesus has given the Holy Spirit as a gift to his church to live in the heart of you and me and every believer. Number two, because of the ascension through the Holy Spirit, Jesus gives spiritual gifts to his church. Paul in Romans and Corinthians and Peter in his epistle mentions the gifts of the Spirit. All are given because Jesus has ascended and given us by the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers them all in every one. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And then verse eleven, after he lists the gifts, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as He wills. The gifts of teaching, of giving, of administration and all the others are the work of the same Spirit and are given to Christians as the Spirit determines for the common good and the building up of the church. We can these days be in danger of being preoccupied with the gifts and not the giver of those gifts. Although the Spirit distributes those gifts, He would always want us to know that behind their giving is the work of King Jesus. So because of the ascension, Jesus provides the gift of the Holy Spirit who lives in the heart of every believer, provides gifts for the growth and benefit of the church, the common good of God's people. And thirdly, when we think of the ascension, we're reminded from the Bible of three titles that Jesus has given with reference to his ongoing work, prophet, priest, and king. While his ascension and position are now at the right hand of the Father, he still relates to us as a priest, one who intercedes for us, pleading our case in his ongoing work, as a king, one who is a conquering king in his finished work, and also significantly, his work as a prophet. And what does he do as our prophet? Peter picks this up by identifying Jesus as the promised prophet. Acts chapter three, Moses said the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. What did the prophet do? He spoke the words of God. Remember in his transfiguration, his father gave those words of approval, this is my beloved son. And then immediately he said, listen to him, hear him. Two statements highlighting his position as the great prophet. Paul writes in Colossians chapter two, saying that Jesus in him, whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and and knowledge. Calvin said of this passage that outside Christ, there is nothing worth knowing. And all, all who by faith perceive what he has like, what he has like has, have grasped the whole immensity of the heavenly benefits. Since he is, our, is called our prophet, we affirm him as our supreme teacher. We look to him for instruction and direction. The one by whom Jesus teaches us is the Holy Spirit. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he'll teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The Holy Spirit, therefore, is the gift of Jesus, our prophet. For through him, he continues to teach us And it is the Spirit's primary task not to speak of himself, but to speak of Jesus and for Jesus. He takes what is Christ and reveals it to us. He does this always by the Scriptures, the very Word he has inspired. So when you and I are enlightened spiritually to understand the Scriptures It flows from Christ through the Holy Spirit working in our hearts and minds. Every time you and I are challenged or convicted, comforted, encouraged, strengthened by the Scriptures, it is the Spirit who graciously is working on our behalf as the gift of Jesus, our prophet. So the ascension promises us the gift of the Spirit living in our hearts, equipping us with spiritual gifts for the good of the church, teaching us as our prophet to lead and guide us. And fourthly, because of the ascension, the gift of the Holy Spirit provides power for his church. Power for living the Christian life and connected to that power in our witness to a watching world. John said in chapter 14, verse 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. The very same energy by which God the Father raised the Son from the dead and then ascended him to the right hand is the force that works within us and is available to us as we live in fellowship and trust. The only explanation... For the way the church turned the first century world upside down and grew so rapidly was God's almighty power at work in and through the members of his church through the preached word. Certainly this power, as Luke describes, is given for us to live as a Christian, but also to witness as a Christian to the world. Acts 1.8 You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the remotest parts of the world. Power in the sense that the words of the gospel will break through, convict of sin, and provide comfort to those who trust in Christ. Power also for the sharer of that gospel and that word courage, confidence, that the sharing of my faith, as weak as I am, the Holy Spirit can take and use beyond all my abilities. Lastly, the ascension tells us that he is in heaven, so every time we share in the Lord's Supper, as we, as we do each month here at Christ's Covenant, we are reminding ourselves of his physical absence. At the same time, we rejoice in his presence, that he is with us in a spiritual way by the Holy Spirit. I remember when Kevin preached on Revelation many months ago, I was immediately struck again with the fact that Jesus is present among his churches. He is always present, nothing escapes his notice. Although physically absent, he is present by his spirit and his presence is our joy, our confidence, and our strength. The English Puritan John Owen would say this, the Spirit can sometimes come and give us wonderful joy that we cannot account for, an experience that will lead us to consider God's love. Of this joy, there is no account to be given but that the Spirit worketh it when and how he will. So in summary, the ascension promises us the gift of the Spirit living in our hearts, equipping us with the spiritual gifts for the common good of the church, teaching us as our prophet to lead and guide us, empowering us for life and witness, and reminding us that Jesus by his Holy Spirit is present though absent in body. So what difference should this make for us as we conclude Holy Week? I'll center my four applications around the thought of confidence. Where would you assess your confidence today? Not confidence in yourself, but in Christ, post-resurrection. Because of the ascension and the gift of the Holy Spirit, we can be confident that though absent from us, Jesus Christ is present by his spirit with every believer in every generation until he returns. His spirit lives in the hearts of believers all alone in a prison cell in a remote part of the world or all alone in a classroom where you are the only believer or all alone in an office space. Wherever you find loneliness, it is not absolute loneliness because the Holy Spirit lives in the heart of every Christian. Are we remembering his presence in our loneliness? The Holy Spirit lives in the believer. Second, because of the ascension and the gift of the Holy Spirit, we can be confident that we've been given gifts to use for the common good of the church. Are we employing those gifts he has given each of us for the good of his church? The Holy Spirit gives gifts to his church. Thirdly, because of the ascension and the gift of the Holy Spirit, we can be confident that his Spirit teaches us all truth. Are we expectant that the Holy Spirit will teach us as we meditate on God's word, as we read, as we listen to sermons? The Holy Spirit enlightens and illumines our understanding of God's word. And number four, because of the ascension, the gift of the Holy Spirit given we can be confident in the empowering of the Spirit for life and for witness. Are we relying on His power for life and witness, courage, boldness, or something else such as the latest methodology? The Holy Spirit gives power and enables us to live a life unto Christ, journeying toward Christ-likeness. The gift of the Holy Spirit is but one of many blessings of the ascended Christ. It is likely that May 13th, being a Thursday, will come and go without much fanfare, yet Jesus' ascension has profound implications for us, his people. I conclude with this quote from the late John Stott. The Jesus who was born into our world and who lived and died in first century Palestine also rose from the dead, is now alive forevermore and is available and accessible to his people. Jesus Christ is not to be relegated like other religious leaders to history, in the history books, he is not dead and gone, finished or fossilized. He is alive and active. He calls us to follow him, and he offers himself to us as our indwelling and transforming Savior. May we follow him faithfully, empowered by the presence of Of His Spirit. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. We pray tonight that as we grow in Christ's likeness, we would grow in our understanding of His ministry in us and through us. Make us more like Christ, the risen one whom the spirit points all of the attention to. Make us more like him so that we might be growing like him ourselves and that we might point others to him around us. Thank you, O ascended savior, that you continue your work in your church from now until the time you return. Come quickly, Lord Jesus.